Welcome to Off the Deep End. I'm your host, Erin Monahan. I'm an anti-girl boss, trauma-informed, astrology and tarot-obsessed business and mindset coach, a writer, speaker, and professional toxic masculinity interrupter. And in this podcast, we go off the deep end about all things entrepreneurship and how to do business without compromising your anti-capitalist values or paycheck. Hello, friends. So I wanted to talk about um, impulse spending at Target. And I don't really remember how this idea came to me yesterday, but I am preparing for my upcoming workshop that I'm facilitating all about healing money trauma, like the foundations of it. So it's called Healing Money Trauma 101. And I was like thinking about my own relationship with money, of course, as I often do. (laughs) And I was remembering like how I would feel when I would go to Target and still to this day how I feel when I walk into a Target because I fucking love Target. (laughs) And... And yeah, just reflecting on how recently my sister flew in, sorry, I have to like clear my throat. throat) My sister flew in and she has two little babies. They're three years old and one and a half and I fucking love them to the moon and back. And they were coming in to visit. And so my, they came to stay with my parents and my, my parents still live in the house that I grew up in in high school. So I live in so-called St. Louis in the city, and then I grew up in a suburb, so it's about 30 minutes away. So anyways, not sure you need to know those details, but anyways, so my sister's flying in and staying at my parents' house, and uh, my parents asked me to go buy some some pull-ups and some diapers for the babies. So, you know, my task was to go to Target, and so before I go to Target, I'm like thinking to myself, okay, Erin, this is your only task. <laughs> Your only task is to go into Target for just the pull-ups and just the diapers and to leave with just the pull-ups and just the diapers. Can you do it? Can you do it? You get, you got this. You got this. <laughs> so, yeah. So I walk in and I, and I haven't been in a Target in a really long time. <clears throat> and, yeah, like, you know, it's just like I love their clothes. I love looking at all the accessories. I just love looking at the swimsuits. Like, I don't have any reason to go swimming right now or really ever. Like, I just don't live near a lot of water. I'm not really someone who, like, has to be in water. So it's not really a thing for me. But I wanted to look at the swimsuits and try them on. Like, I was like, oh, my God, that swimsuit's so cute. Anyways, it just, Target pulls me in, right? And it was just a really, really cool, I mean, this is what I do every time I go into like a store or I go shopping or whatever. Um, recently I also went to Sephora to get some, some conditioner for my hair and I had to practice my regulating, you know, I had to practice like regulating my body before I went in because yeah, it's just so tempting to buy shit that you don't need. And so I, I do want to, um, announce that I was able to leave Target with just the pull-ups and the diapers. <laughs> and also, if I if I hadn't left with just those things, I would be okay with it too because I don't want to I don't want to sit here and say that we need to restrict ourselves from from our feelings or for from our hedonism or or whatever or for, for from our impulses, like it's totally okay to want to buy things on a whim or to feed our hedonism. I don't think there's anything bad about it or wrong wrong about it, but I think for me my priority was like, okay, Aaron, they're 
flying in right now. They're going to be at the house. You want to see them. This is not the time to shop. <laughs> this Your priority is to get the pull-ups and to get home. It's not really to indulge in, in shopping for yourself right now, which, yeah. It, it just, to me, I had to think about, like, what is my priority? What is my personal priority in this moment? And so I was like, all right, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to look around. But if I want to come back, I'll come back and I'll look around <laughs> in Target at things that I don't need and that I didn't want until I walked into the store. <laughs> but so I left and whatever it was that caught my eye, I forgot about it. Like sitting here right now talking to you, I don't remember. Besides those bathing suits, because I thought that was kind of funny. It's like February. It's well, no, it's January. It's almost February. It's January in St. Louis, and I I don't have any need for a swimsuit. I also have swimsuits that I bought from Target last summer, so I really don't need any swimsuits. But it's just funny how, yeah, reflecting on how that that happens in our brains and how how this works. So yeah, um, so that that's what inspired my recent Instagram post where I was talking about impulse spending at Target. And how there's all these really funny memes that circulate the internet and reels and TikToks that float around that make fun of the fact that when you walk into a Target with the intention of buying one thing, you end up leaving with 30 things that you didn't know you needed. And of course, the joke is that you don't actually need them. And for me, this absolutely resonates because I... I mean that's that's been me for sure and then I and then I was just sitting here thinking about it and I'm like hmm yeah that that connects to how shopping has always been a sort of coping strategy for me and I didn't realize it until I became certified through the trauma of money program in uh last year in 2020 so going through that program and learning about my nervous system learning about trauma learning about how how we survive and how we cope <clears throat> with trauma and how we cope with living within systems of oppression like capitalism, white supremacy, patriarchy, ongoing colonization. These systems are traumatic constantly and we are, and yeah, they are constants in our lives. So learning about how, you know, I navigate the world and how I cope with these things, I remember at one point realizing a couple years ago when I was living in Portland, Oregon, and I was, as I was, I was a nanny, I was building Terra Incognita Media, I was navigating my 20s, I was going through my Saturn return, so for any astrology, you know, nerds out there, this was during my Saturn return, (laughs) and I was coming to terms with understanding my attachment to the construct of whiteness, and really for the first time confronting my role in in participating in white supremacy and what that looked like as as a construct, you know, my whiteness as a construct and understanding that and really grappling with that and trying to come to terms with it and and confront it and interrogate interrogate that, yeah. And so I became depressed and and anxious, but I I don't even know if I want to say I became because what I realized is that depression can look so many different ways. And so I, I definitely reflect back on my life and I'm like, oh yeah, I mean, there were definitely moments where I was depressed, but just didn't realize it. And then now at this point, I'm 32 and I'm looking back on my life and I'm like, have I always just been anxious, but just never knew that that's what 
anxiousness was. Like, I just didn't know that that's what anxiety looked like. <laughs> and I think, yes, I think that I've, I've been, I've ex- been dealing with and coping with like anxiety. I've had anxiety probably my whole life, but just didn't even realize it. And, um, I mean, I, I definitely think there are times where it has gotten, uh, you know, a higher level than others, but to look back on my life and think, wow, yeah, I think I've just been living with like low level anxiety <clears throat> my whole life and just thought that that was normal, you know, like thinking to myself as I got older and in my twenties, you know, and the pressures of life start hitting you and, and you come to terms with your mortality and you're like, oh my God, I'm not going to be alive forever. I'm becoming an adult. Like I'm not a kid anymore. Like that's basically your sad in return. And then going to sleep and, and going to bed and like having racing thoughts and not being able to fall asleep and thinking that that's normal when actually I've realized that that is anxiety. <laughs> so, so yeah, not even realizing that, but how I coped was, was through shopping and like, it wasn't like an every weekend thing, but I just remember whenever I would get like a paycheck, there were, there were definitely times where I would be like, I had this like feeling inside me that was just like, I want, I know this is going to give me like some kind of like pleasurable release. And what I've now learned is that that is a chasing of dopamine and dopamine happens when, when we are chasing something, it's all about the chase. And so then when you get that thing that you're chasing, then the high goes away and then you, you get a low And this is what a lot of people would call an addiction if it's something that happens over and over again. So for me, thinking about going shopping used to give me this like sense of like chasing uh, of a chase and like dopamine and like going to the going to Nordstrom or going to Target and like hunting for clothes and and trying them on. And and (laughs) it really did feel like a chase in hindsight. And it really did feel like this kind of uh, impulsive, like in this subconscious sort of frenzy of like not even really being conscious of what I was like fully aware of, like what I was doing or feeling. But yeah, it felt uh, uh, like out of body in not a great way, in a very kind of dysregulated way where I would like almost feel stressed at the same time when I was shopping, like in these moments where I went to shop because I was feeling depressed or sad or anxious or um, inadequate. I I also was dealing with these feelings of like, I I didn't want to be a nanny for this long. How am I still nannying right now? Like, why hasn't my work taken off yet? And just feeling, I mean, I was also having like relationship issues. And so yeah, just feeling all kinds of inadequate. And so going shopping was this kind of like, without me even realizing it, this kind of like quick hit of pleasure and of dopamine that like made me feel temporarily better for maybe not even an hour. And then um, I would get home and look at the clothes that I bought and be like, what the fuck? Like, (laughs) I'm never going to wear these. Or like, I don't even really like these. Like, I remember buying things that like, I didn't even really like. And then I would get back to the house and I'd look at them and I'm like, all right, well, I mean, and then that's, you know, it's great that we can return things, but <laughs> um, yeah, don't cut the tags, you know, like, you know, give it some time, give it some time. But yeah, so 
so I've just been reflecting on this and wanted to talk about it because I know that this is a very universal experience because of these target memes that are that are circulating and yeah just having this kind of like subconscious internal frenzy of chasing dopamine while I'm shopping in this in this way and then also just even being stressed though because it's like I knew I was like okay Aaron like this is this is at a time when I was uh, I had credit card debt and I was actually using my credit cards to buy this, buy these clothes. And I was like, you know, I grew up with a dad who would, and, and mom who would always tell me like, you need to save your money and credit cards are bad and you only get credit cards like to build your credit. And if you spend any money on your credit card, you need to pay it back right away. So, you know, only use your credit card for like things like gas or your bills that like you know you're going to have to pay at the end of the month and not for things like going shopping at Target or Nordstrom. <laughs> but I, I got to a point where I had to use my credit cards um, to fly home for weddings and put, you know, I didn't have $500 to drop on a, on a flight, so I would use a credit card for that. I went to this like training in North Carolina, this facilitator training. It was thousands of dollars, and I thought it was going to really just up-level my career. <laughs> whatever that means. And it, it was a total, you know, I could have done without that entire experience. And it was a couple thousand, it was like five to $6,000 of a mistake, which I don't regret it because of course it led me to where I am now. But yeah, you know, like I, I did everything that my parents told me not to do. And so I conscious, I was, I was conscious in the way that I knew that this was like going to have consequences. Like I kind of knew the consequences I was taking on and the risks that I was taking on. And I, and that now I've connected the dots between, okay, like this is how I've coped with my trauma. It's been through dissenting against my parents. It's been through, um, doing the opposite of what they're going to tell me to do of rebelling, of trying to prove people wrong or prove them wrong, I guess, in this kind of subconscious way. And then also just like not wanting to deprive myself and, also kind of putting putting off putting this this the money off in a in a sort of almost avoidant way where I was like yeah it'll, I'll figure it out it'll it'll all be good like I have 2 years before the interest starts kicking in like I've got this 2 year grace period in 2 years I'll definitely be making I'll be I'll be making so much money in my business and I'll be able to pay all these back like no problem <laughs> and yeah I really like you know I appreciate the faith that I had in myself I appreciate the faith that I still have in myself but I'm a little bit more realistic when it comes to <laughs> money and and how money works and how it's made how I can make it and how I you know what's realistic for yeah all that but that's going to be different for all of us but yeah I um so yeah, I definitely racked up credit card debt and shopping was one of the one of the reasons why. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't feel guilty about this because I think I remember thinking like I am depressed, I am anxious, like I don't I am I am going to do this because I just want a quick um a quick hedonistic hit of pleasure. So and that there's nothing wrong with that. But so this is what inspired uh, me to talk about all of this. And, you know, some of us use substances, some of us go shopping, some of us exercise, some of us pour into our work, 
Some of us meditate. Some of us do yoga or breath work to, to cope or to heal. And well, I don't know about to heal. I don't know if like shopping is, shopping's not really healing, but (laughs) to cope. And, or, you know, we do these things in an attempt to get what we needed that we didn't get as children. We do these things as an attempt to, to secure what we've lacked, to, to secure what we think we're lacking. And that's what shopping did for me is that I felt this deep sense of lack and inadequacy and depression and dejection and and loneliness, all those things. And so this was my attempt at getting those things. And it's not bad. It's it's like these are things that are actually brilliant coping mechanisms that we've learned in order to survive in this fucked up world, in these fucked systems, in these oppressive systems that we live within. And none of these ways of coping are morally superior than the other. And at the same time, if we are finding that certain ways in which we cope are getting in the way of our long-term financial, emotional, spiritual health, or they're disrupting our personal and work relationships, then we might want to pause and reassess. And so for me, it was getting in the way of it and it has gotten in the way of my long-term financial goals and my long-term emotional goals because that's not really doing it. You know, getting that instant quick hit isn't really doing anything for me long-term. It's only fueling that, that cycle of seeking out a a quick fix for something that I'm going to have to then like find another quick fix because there's going to be a low when it comes to that kind of cycle of chasing dopamine. So yeah, and I'll get into like what I've done since then to help me out with regulating my emotions and and healing. Um, but yeah, I, I just wanted to say that, yeah, if you have found that your body feels dysregulated when you walk into a Target or a shopping mall or a store of any kind, just know that it's uh, it's not... Any, there's nothing wrong with you for that. It's not that there is, we don't, you know, there's all this stigma around addiction and I don't, I don't love, I mean, obviously I don't love that. Um, and I think that we all, if we all were to sit down with like a psychiatrist or whatever, and they were to, you know, we would all be diagnosed with addiction. Like we all live in this society and we just, you know, some, some are just more, um, some of us are, I mean, obviously targeted by these systems. The problem is that <laughs> there's, there's money to be made through the medical industry, the medical industrial complex, and through the prison industrial complex, there's money to be made in these industries. And so that's where the stigma comes from. And it's easy to point the finger at other people and to distract from our own, our own pain and our own feelings of lack and we can um the stigma of of drug use or of substances or of any ways that in our that are deemed like you know not healthy or like have this stigma around it any any ways of coping that have a stigma around it um 
it's easy for us to point the finger and to be like, yeah, I'm better than that person. And we can feel superior momentarily. But really underneath all that is just our own feelings of lack and inadequacy. So yeah, reflecting on these visceral reactions that are happening in our bodies when we are walking into a store or when we are reaching for something that we that we think, you know, that will help us in the moment temporarily, we just need to reflect and and get, you know, get in touch with our bodies and 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 get curious about what's happening. And it's important to to just get start to get curious and to start getting mindful about what's happening in our bodies when we are when we are reaching for these things or when we are going shopping like at Target and it can help us to start to make more informed cognitive choices which will help us towards healing. And so ultimately the key to not spending at Target is drum roll please regulating your nervous system. <laughs> so Capitalism preys on our mental and physical and emotional well-being by convincing us that we need to buy more things to be prettier, skinnier, more loved, adored, attractive, more desirable, etc. And then on top of this, capitalism pathologizes our responses to living in these fuck systems and wants to put everything into a box and doesn't want to consider the nuance and the the systems and the structure that creates these responses in us. And so this is where compulsive buying disorder comes in. Yes, uh this this hasn't been put into the DSM-5 yet, but it's it's being considered as uh a disorder that that might go into the DSM. I'm drinking coffee while I'm talking, so excuse me if you hear me slurping. But the, yeah, so uh, the DSM is basically, a, if you don't know, a big book about, you know, that, that is filled with all of the, it's supposed to be filled with all of the possible disorders, all the official disorders that someone could get diagnosed with. So yeah, so so compulsive buying disorder is characterized by obsessive shopping cognitions and buying behavior that le- leads to distress or impairment. That's what it's that's what this is defined as and it come that comes from that's a quote from an article uh called A Review of Compulsive Buying Disorder by Donald Black and and so in the DSM-5 disorder is defined as mental disorders conceptualized as a clinically significant behavior psychological it's a psychological syndrome or pattern that occurs in an individual and that is associated with present distress so an example would be that they give in the dsm-5 a painful symptom or disability impairment in one or or more important areas of functioning or increasingly significant risk of suffering, death, pain, disability, or important loss of freedom. So I'm I'm sharing this so that we can kind of get the lay of the land when it comes to what society is telling us about this so-called disorder. And the way that a disorder, quote unquote, like cognitive or sorry, like compulsive buying disorder is described sounds a lot like addiction 
And Dr. Gabor Mate, who is a renowned speaker and best-selling author and highly sought after for his expertise on a range of topics like addiction and stress and childhood development, Dr. Gabor Mate defines addiction as when we do something over and over again to temporarily reduce pain, even though it may have negative consequences. So I'll read that again. Dr. Gabor Mate defines addiction as when we do something over and over again to temporarily reduce pain, even though it may have negative consequences. So you could say that I was addicted to shopping in a way because I was doing that over and over again. And it wasn't like over and over every single day, but it was definitely a go-to strategy for me when I was feeling extra stressed out. And I knew that it was going to give me this like nice little dopamine hit. And it had negative consequences ultimately because I don't, you know, need to be in debt. (laughs) It was putting me in debt and that's not great um, for my long-term financial health and well-being. Uh, so, so CBD, compulsive buying disorder, so-called compulsive buying disorder, is spending for the high of spending. And there is little to no consideration for the why of the buy. And the why of the buy is something that I've learned through the trauma of money. This is something that that program really encourages us to think about. The why of the buy being... Like, why am I buying this? Like, considering that and like really getting to the root cause of of why we are buying something. Why we're feeling compelled to purchase something instead of just not even thinking about it. Instead of just, you know, uh, going off of our impulses and not, not taking a minute to pause and consider what's really driving us to buy this thing. And so a result of of uh, CBD could be many adverse consequences that are not actually aligned with our ultimate financial or lifetime goals. And these consequences, like I've mentioned, could be going into debt or not being able to pay bills. And like I also said, often CBD is a result of feeling shame, pain, boredom, anxiety, depression, or any kind of unwanted feeling or experience. So this is a chase fueled by dopamine, which is encouraged by our hyper-consumerist capitalist society that convinces us that we're inadequate and capitalism creates the conditions for us to feel unfulfilled or lonely or depressed or anxious. And then sells us the solution to these painful emotions and experiences in the form of a product or a service. And all along this there's like this underlying subconscious belief that is I should be happy all the time. Right? Like our society feeds us this lie, this myth because happiness all the time isn't even humanly possible. We are dynamic beings. To sustain a feeling of happiness 24-7 is humanly, is, is, it's inhuman. It is not, it's not humanly possible. But we, but we yet, yet we have this expectation of ourselves, the subconscious expectation that we should be happy all the time so that when we feel anything that's not happy, we think there's something wrong with us. 
And so there's this underlying subconscious belief of I should be happy all the time. And if I'm not, there's something wrong with me. And I need to buy something in order to feel happy, to feel fulfilled, and to fix myself. And so we can see that the problem is not that we have any kind of a disorder, quote unquote, or that you're even, you're not bad with money. Like another belief then would be that like, for me, because I was in debt, I, I really had this belief that I must be bad with money. I'm just bad with money. I've never been good with money. I, I, I did not thrive in math class growing up <laughs> at all. <laughs> Hated math class and traumatized by math class. And so I always had this belief that me, money, me, numbers don't mix. Like we don't go together. But so I had this belief I'm bad with money, but that's not true at all. I make I make excellent choices with my money, I believe. And to this to today and I know I I I know that I'm smart with my money and I know that like in hindsight that my credit card debt was not a reflection of me being bad with money. It was a reflection of my of the lack of support that I needed. I needed therapy, I needed community, I needed my parents' support and love. And I, it was a response of trauma that I was experiencing, I had experienced, and all these things accumulated. So anyways, ultimately, the problem is that this oppressive society is constantly manipulating and exploiting us. So if you, you know, are thinking to yourself, wow, yeah, a lot of this resonates with me, know that CBD is a trauma response. It is not a personal moral failing. It's not that that you are disordered or you're flawed, but that this patterning is a very human response to living in this traumatic society. Another piece of the another piece of this that I want to talk about is this this quote from this article that I shared on Instagram. This article from, it's, it's called A Review of Compulsive Buying Disorder by Donald W. Black. And I'm going to read, so here's the quote. Found worldwide, the disorder of CBD has a lifetime prevalence of 5.8% in the U.S. general population. Most subjects studied clinically are women, around 80%, though this gender difference may be artifactual. (laughs) Subjects with CBD report a preoccupation with shopping, pre-purchase tension or anxiety, and a sense of relief following the purchase. So we know that statistics are, are definitely skewed and we have to ask like who's doing the study, what biases they have, and that gender is a spectrum, and this is not accounting for genders outside of the binary. So we have to take all that into consideration. And also, what this really tells me and points to is how our society, like I said before, preys on our uh, desires to be prettier, skinnier, more loved, more adored, more attractive, more desirable, and often this is the patriarchy. This is patriarchy manipulating and convincing women that we need to like fix ourselves and and uh abide by cis cis heteropatriarchal standards of beauty and attraction so 
uh, also the, in this quote, it's talking about how there is this pre-purchase tension and anxiety. So what that is saying, what I'm, what I'm interpreting that as is this overall sense of anxiousness or depression or, you know, the tension in our lives that we might feel, which could be that the over, the overwhelming loneliness we might feel, which is something that you know, all of these things were things that I would feel before I would go in to buy something. And then knowing that I was going to get this sort of relief or this like, you know, in this form of a dopamine hit, it gave me this sort of relief following the purchase. And also there was this almost at times a sense of guilt for doing that or this sense of buyer's remorse. That's where this idea of buyer's remorse comes from because it's like this deep low after this high. So I just wanted to share that. And as you continue on your money healing journey, there are a few things that I would recommend. So we have to really consider thoughtfully the why of the buy, as I talked about before. So thinking about, am I buying this as a way to escape a certain feeling or experience? And asking, is this purchase in my best long-term interest? So it's really important to pause and get mindful and maybe even mentally and emotionally prepare before we walk into a Target or before we walk into a store, before we hit purchase on anything online. There are all these studies also that show that buying things on a credit card, there's, it's so much less friction it's so much easier than buying things with cash. So we have to be really mindful as we're existing in this society that creates the conditions for us to easily overspend or or compulsively spend in these ways and get really mindful and also uh, really really bulk up and strengthen our compassion for ourselves because this is not any kind of moral failing on our part. But the power that we do hold is within the ability to discern what's happening for for us, what's getting clear about what's going on in our bodies and discerning, like, is this a choice I really want to make? Is this a choice that's really in my best interest? And escapism and hedonism aren't bad things. Like we all need to escape sometimes and we all need to just, yeah, go, go into, uh, behaviors that, you know, are feeding our hedonism. That's not, that's not a bad thing. Hedonism isn't bad. Uh, but we do need to have discernment on when we're doing that. And, and if we ourselves like want that to be something that we're doing consciously, uh yeah, just to create that discernment for ourselves and that awareness and and like being like, yeah, actually I am going to indulge in this thing and I'm okay with it. <laughs> and that's fine. But I think like that's where our power is 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 bringing, you know, collecting our power, getting our power back from these systems that have conditioned us to just um to do things without without thinking about it. And without being mindful about it, like we've been conditioned in these ways and and where our power lies is by taking back our conditioning, like rewiring our brains ourselves and really being mindful and conscious about like how we've been 
conditioned by these systems to act in ways that might not be in our best interest. And so I, I think that, you know, there's also these four, I want to share with you these, the four C's of healing that I came up with that I think will be helpful for you on your journey as well. So the four C's of healing are compassion, curiosity, connection, and co-regulation. So the trauma of money, let's start with compassion. In the trauma of money, we've, we often talk about increasing discernment and decreasing shame. And in order to do this, in order to decrease shame, we have to re-up our compassion. I don't know about you, but I used to have the worst internal self-talk. I used to have, I used to be my own biggest bully. And I would tell myself that I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not as pretty as that person. I'm not as smart as that person. And I would just fuel these thoughts and... I would beat myself up for not being able to do all the things on my to-do list in one day or feel, you know, I would tell myself that I'm like a failure if I wasn't like running and climbing and writing an article and posting on Instagram all on the same day. So we have to really amp up our compassion for ourselves and really get mindful about the ways that we're talking to ourselves. So how is your self-talk doing? What does your inner voice sound like on a moment-to-moment basis? Are you lifting yourself up internally or are you beating yourself up and are you your own biggest bully? And when we're trying to decrease shame, we can ask ourselves, whose shame is this? Is the shame you're feeling yours or was it given to you by someone else? Is the voice in your head even yours? Or is it someone else's voice? Is it your parents' voice? A teacher's voice? Is it someone on social media? Is it their voice? Whose voice is in your head telling you to feel this this shame? We need to live no shame lives. Zero shame. I mean, there are some things that, you know, we might want to be shameful about um, when it comes to really harming people and not considering others, but for them, you know, in a lot of ways, I have moved into releasing myself of the shame that I have acquired and built up over time when it came to my decisions around money, when it came to my decisions of of the kind of work that I'm pursuing. I used to have shame around nannying when I was when I was working full time as a nanny and, and having shame about not doing something that society would deem more like legitimate as a job or something or more valued like being a doctor and I used to feel shame about my desire to study and pursue astrology because up until recently we were we're seeing this big influx of people having a an interest a vested interest in astrology and taking it more seriously overall as a society but up until this point, you know, I've had my dad's voice in my head saying that astrology is not a legitimate source of knowledge and wisdom. So that was something that I had to, that I had to work on. So whose shame is it? And, and we have to decrease that shame and increase discernment. And 
one big way that we do that is through compassion. So that is the first C of healing. The second C is curiosity. Get curious. Get curious within your body. Get curious about your bodily responses to things. Get curious as you navigate your day and you, as you witness yourself moving through your day. Start from a place of curiosity and move away from judgment. And as you're making choices throughout your day, as you're responding to things throughout your day, because that a lot of our choices lie in how we're responding to things because we might not be able to control what's going on, but we can respond. We can choose what, how we're going to respond to the things in our lives and ask yourself, hmm, I wonder why I'm thinking this. I wonder, I wonder why I'm responding to this in this way. I wonder why I'm having this feeling. For me, a lot of the time I've noticed that I will have a story going on in my head about something. So my friend might forget to call me back or they might reschedule our call or um, when I was in a relationship, I would interpret my partner's behavior in a certain way and I would create this whole story around it. Like I'm not lovable, I'm not good enough, I'm not important to them and I would create all these stories and I would find, you know, through therapy, <laughs> working with my therapist, that these narratives, these thoughts are not facts. So our feelings are absolutely valid, but our feelings are not facts. These, you know, oftentimes we're operating through stories and narratives that have been ingrained in us since we were little or from our, from our caretakers, or from the dynamics within our families that we grew up in. And so it's really important to start getting curious about the stories that we're operating within, about the narratives that we keep feeding ourselves. And so as we go through our days, we have to get really curious about what's going on in our bodies, how we're responding to things, and get curious about the stories that we're telling ourselves, and see if we can adopt new ones. What do you want to believe about yourself? What story or narrative do you want to believe instead of the one that you're telling yourself? Do you want to believe you're good with money? Do you want to believe that you are very responsible with your finances? And that you've been making choices to the best of your ability to take care of yourself in the best ways that you know how? Those are all beliefs that you can absolutely start believing right now. And in order to rewire our brains, that's part of the work, is to believe things that we want to believe about ourselves, and then we were, we're able to take action on those beliefs and to align our actions with those beliefs. And that will have an impact on how we're feeling. and change, That will change our emotional experience. And a lot of, you know, of course, systems of oppression are real and absolutely create the conditions that we exist within. And another part of what creates our reality is how we feel internally. So to the, to the extent that we can, we can take care of our emotional world to, to the best of our ability to create the reality we want to create. And the third C of the four C's of healing is connection. 
So connecting to our bodies, connecting to our breath. It's so simple, but this really is a big, big key to healing. Being connected to the present moment and regulating ourselves, connecting to our breath. And also at the same time, like not hyper-focusing on what's happening in our minds. So there is a lot of emphasis on introspection and on being present, which is definitely key, you know, for someone like me who's anxious and is always thinking about the future and what could happen and when's the other shoe going to drop. Healing, a huge part of healing is being able to bring ourselves back to the center, uh, bring ourselves back to center, ground ourselves in the present moment and not be so hyper-focused on what could happen in the future. So introspection is, is really important, a really important skill to be able to practice. And at the same time, there is this kind of balance that we need to have with exteroception, I believe is how I'm, I might be saying that wrong, but uh, there's, this, there's this balance that we want to have with being able to take in the bigger picture and remind ourselves that there's a bigger picture. There's... Uh, a larger story happening here than just this one present moment. So we don't want to get too hyper-focused on on what's going on in this moment. So if I'm if I am worried about paying my bills and and the bill is coming in a couple weeks, uh being hyper-focused on that is not necessarily going to help me in this moment. So how can I how can I feel safe and remind myself like in this moment I am I am in my apartment the heat is running uh there is a a beautiful world outside. I'm looking at the park. I can see the trees. I can see the wind. Like taking all of that in is really important. And then being able to come back to my body and center myself and breathe through the moment and yeah, being able to connect to my present moment in that way and then also being able to take that that wider lens and get and getting that almost like we're zooming out of the picture. So it's important to be able to fluidly move in and out of these experiences. The last C is co-regulation. So this is crucial for healing. And we live in this really hyper-individualistic society that's like, no, I got to do it myself. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. This white supremacist narrative that you have to do it all on your own. And that's not how we survive. And that's not definitely not how we thrive. There's nobody in this world who has been able to get to where they are without a community, without help. Co-regulation is absolutely crucial for healing. So for me... I've been seeing my therapist for about two years now, and I've noticed that it is a relationship that helps me to feel regulated. And I, you know, when I'm feeling absolutely frenetic or anxious or depressed, I, and then I meet with my therapist, it's a very regulating experience for me. So her ability, like her nervous system allows me, her, her present and calm nervous system allows me to get present and calm. I mean, so that's why we have to be aware of what's going on in our environment and who we surround ourselves with 
if you know if there's choice in that I know for some of us there's not a choice you know when we're growing up and we're living in a in an environment that might be chaotic or you know I was living with four siblings and so it's like there's a lot of yelling when I was growing up a lot of yelling and, and arguing and um but so how can we find ways to co-regulate and create an environment where we're able to do that maybe it would be like planning phone calls with a friend consistent phone calls or consistent hangouts i know it's hard in a pandemic but maybe that's something that you might want to put more intention behind or for me going to a coffee shop is it can be regulating sometimes it can be overstimulating and overwhelming maybe maybe that's you but at times i find that going to a coffee shop and just being surrounded by other people working and and existing in the world it can feel regulating so that is a way that we can co-regulate we can also co-regulate by being out in nature we can co-regulate with trees trees can be a regulating resource being around animals outside at the park that i live by there are ducks in the water so watching them and observing them and seeing them just exist that is a a co-regulating resource for me it can really change our nervous system and our bodily experience to co-regulate i know i mean also you know as adults it is important to learn how to self-regulate which is something that i had a really hard time with and that i've been really working on over these years and i'm much much better at now than i ever than i ever have been through therapy uh and through doing my own trauma healing work. And self-regulation is something that we we should be taught as we're growing up. But if we don't have the external factors in place, then it's going to be really hard for us to do that. And self-regulation is is learned through co-regulation from our caregivers. If we don't get that attunement from our caregivers growing up, and if we don't get that uh, co-regulation, we're not going to be able to self-regulate or self-soothe, learn how to self-soothe. So self-regulation is influenced by external factors like the environment and interactions with others, and also by internal factors that are happening inside of us. So self-regulation can be defined as the act of managing our thoughts and feelings to enable goal-directed actions, and it can include a variety of behaviors like that, that are necessary for success in you know, our versions of success in school or relationships or the workplace. And it, it might sound like something internal, but like I said, self-regulation develops through our interactions with our caregivers. And this could be through our parents, through our teachers, through our coaches or mentors, and self-regulation is extremely dependent on predictable, responsive, and supportive environments. So if you are experiencing true scarcity, if you are experiencing uh, housing insecurity, food insecurity, if you're in an abusive relationship, then self-regulation is not going to be possible. You're going to be in fight, flight, or freeze because you're in survival mode, and that makes sense. That's what you're supposed you know, that's what a body is supposed to do. Humans are in fight, flight, or freeze when we are in situations that are dangerous. So self-regulation can really only occur when we are in safe situations. 
yeah, the, the idea of co-regulation, it began as a description of adults supporting their infants or caregivers supporting their uh, supporting children. But it's, it's now used to describe any interactive process of regulatory support that can occur within the context of caring relationships across our lifespans. So co-regulation will look different at different ages as we develop uh, our capacity for self-regulation. But co-regulation always remains a critical resource, no matter how old we are. So it doesn't matter how old we are or how healed we happen to get. (laughs) Co-regulation is absolutely always something that we need because it's just a human need. Co-regulation, it, it's this thing that happens. And, and I mean, I know that like, you know, you might want to reflect on your own experiences with this, but what really is going on when we co-regulate is, you know, okay, I'll, I'm going to share like a practical example. So recently we had these tornadoes, these horrifyingly strong and scary tornadoes blow through and rip through and tear through St. Louis and across the Midwest, and they even went up into the Northeast. And I had just gotten back to my apartment after grocery shopping, and I was singing Celine Dion in the car, and I was feeling really good, and I was feeling really regulated and really happy and calm and present, blasting Celine Dion. (laughs) And then I get this notification on my phone that's saying, like, a tornado warning. I was freaking the fuck out. I was so freaked out. And I live in this apartment by myself. It's a four-person family apartment, fourplex apartment building. So across the hall is my awesome, uh, awesome like neighbor, Ellie. And then downstairs is uh, my older neighbor that lives below me. And then downstairs on the other side of the apartment is a really cool couple, a younger couple. So, but I live alone in this little apartment and I was freaking the fuck out. So I, I went straight to the basement and was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm going to die. Like, you know, it was, it was really scary. So I, I hung out in the basement for a little bit and like in the stairwell. And then I called Ellie and Ellie has just been this like very regulating resource for me. <laughs> Ellie handles things differently than me and is just, I don't know, she just like has more uh, like of a, she's actually learned a lot about her astrology this night, but so she's got some, I think she's a cancer, um, I can't remember, she's like cancer rising or sun, but anyways, so I called Ellie because I was like, hey, what are you doing? Like, it's a tornado warning, like, are you freaked out? And she was like, hey, we're just uh, drinking uh, spiked cider and eating pizza and I've got a couple friends over and we're just hanging out you should come up and and sit with us I think we're gonna be fine (laughs) I was like okay (laughs) it's a fucking tornado like warning like okay um so I go in there and and yeah she's got a couple two friends are visiting from out of town and one of them has their son their little their little toddler running around too and so one of her friends is a helicopter pilot and she was like tracking the weather on like the NOAA app. And so she's got this like fancy weather tracking system going and she's like, yeah, we'll be fine. It's not going to hit us. It'll be fine. I'm like, so we're not going to die. And she's like, no, we're going to be totally fine. So 
instantly when I was able to connect with Ellie and, and her friends and I was able to be around people in this very warm, supportive, calm environment. They they gave me food. <laughs> they gave me this really spiked apple cider. <laughs> it was more like whiskey with a side of apple cider. And when that happened, I was able to co-regulate. So I was able to say like, hey, I'm really scared. Are we going to be okay? Do you think we're going to be okay? And Ellie's nervous system was able to help my nervous system come back to center and to cal- and to calm down and be present and to stop worrying about, oh my God, are we going to die? Maybe we're going to die. Like what's going to happen next? And I was able to really just get present and... Yeah, so co-regulation happens when you attune to another person and allow your internal state to shift and come to resonate with their internal world. So all of this happens by what's called our social engagement system. And what's going on is that our neurons are mirroring each other. And there are resonant circuits going on in the brain and the body. So... Living in this hyper individual individualistic society, we might interpret this as like, oh, I'm I'm being codependent. But no, it is not codependence. We we do need each other. We absolutely need each other. We need relationships. We need other people. We need community in order to survive and to thrive. It is biologically essential. And when we are in moments like that where we are like facing a challenge or we're in a climate chaos threat or we are experiencing a pandemic or we are experiencing white supremacy and capitalism and colonialism and patriarchy attunement from a regulated person can quickly bring us out of survival mode and into a regulated state where we feel safer and we feel secure Uh, we can imagine then that living in this world it's it's these systems don't allow us to to flourish and to thrive because these systems keep us separated and white supremacy intentionally creates the conditions for us to be separate from each other and to feel like we don't belong so the more marginalized we are the more difficult it is to experience regulation And that is why racism, sexism, classism, ableism, fatphobia, homophobia, transphobia, these things are mental health threats. These things are mental and public health issues. And having supportive social networks is not only going to improve our own psychological, emotional, spiritual well-being, but they can help us to boost our immune systems and to prevent diseases. It can help us to create resilient and healthy communities. So to kind of recap and kind of review what I've talked about in this episode, as as we're healing from our money trauma, we want to consider the why of the buy. Am I buying this as a way to escape? Is this purchase in my best long-term interest? And then to consider the four C's of healing. Compassion, 
curiosity, connection, and co-regulation. I am sending you all my love on your personal money healing journey. And I hope that this was helpful. And if you would like deeper support, I am hosting a live online workshop called Healing from Money Trauma 101. And in this workshop, I'm I'm drawing from my experience studying somatics and becoming a certified trauma of money facilitator and also drawing from attachment theory. And I'm going to be teaching all about the foundations of healing money trauma so that you can cultivate resonant and long-lasting financial and emotional well-being. So if you've ever thought to yourself, I, if I had this amount of money, I would be happy, or I can't seem to save my money or get out of my credit card student loan debt, I'm so bad with my finances, or I hate capitalism and I don't want to participate, but I need to pay my rent and my mortgage and my bills. Or, I want to feel abundant, but I feel so much anxiety, stress, and lack. If you've thought any of these things, then this workshop was created with you in mind. Because despite what you believe about your relationship with money and finances, it is possible to cultivate financial and emotional well-being and spiritual well-being. These are all things that are intertwined. So if you feel called and you want deeper support, in this workshop, you're going to learn why standard mindset advice might not be working for you, how your nervous system impacts your relationship with money, how your attachment style plays a role in your daily habits and choices, and how you you can become more secure, which will benefit the health of your long-term financial and emotional well-being, how our perception of ourselves and our money is often filtered through deep-seated shame, and how shame is probably keeping you from what you desire most and also how you can shift this and then lastly in the workshop you're going to learn the key to cultivating emotional and financial well-being so you can step into your purpose with confidence and clarity and invite in a sustainable trauma-informed abundance mindset without spiritual bypassing so this will be a very interactive workshop followed by a facilitated discussion and q a and it's probably going to be about three hours You will get the recorded replay within 48 hours of the event ending. And the early bird enrollment is open now. And early bird enrollment is going to end on Sunday, February 6th, where then the cost of the workshop will go up. And there's also sliding scale pricing for black folks in an effort to acknowledge the inequities that exist in racialized capitalism. So I will link to that in the show notes if you want to enroll and you can see all the options there for pricing. And then also if, if you are in need of financial assistance or an extended payment plan, you can email me at Aaron at AaronKMonahan.com. Yeah, I would love to see you there. I can't wait to meet you and support you in healing your relationship with money and entrepreneurship. So thank you for listening to this episode. Feel free to share it with your friends and your biz besties and non-biz besties alike because I feel like this information is is stuff that we should all learn from a young age. And I feel like if I would have learned this 
at a young age, it would have saved me a lot of pain and suffering and probably from the $14,000 of debt that I'm still paying off. (laughs) But yes. Okay. Well, sending you lots of love and I will talk to you next time. Bye.